This is God's holy and infallible word from 1 John. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And then there are three questions and answers in the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll read the question. You please read the answers. Uh, This is the first one. What is God's will for us in the sixth commandment? Does this commandment refer only to murder? Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? not murder is the commandment. It's one of the shortest ones. And at first it seems almost unnecessary for us because it's so obvious. For us sitting here in a church building in Elmhurst, Illinois, I mean, we've got some rough around the edges characters in this church and you know who you are. But still, It's really kind of like, duh. And it's like we struggle with sin. Yes, we admit it. We confess it. But please, I think we got this one handled. Not only is this commandment obvious to church-going people, do not murder is obvious to everyone. Murder carries with it the highest penalties possible in our legal system. It seems like, okay, do not murder. We got that. Time to move on to the more important commandments. But then if we dig a little deeper, which which I did in the past couple weeks on your behalf to prepare for this sermon, if we dig a little bit deeper and look at the full sweep of the Bible, we start to see the relevance of this commandment, even for us. As we've been seeing, the Israelites... Those were God's Old Testament people. They were barely civilized when they got these commandments. After being slaves uh, for hundreds of years under the yoke of Egyptian taskmasters, some of what the commandments do is simply set the basic ground rules for a just society. And one of those ground rules is do not go around killing each other. 
God has to tell them this. But then beyond the surface level, beyond the stark command, there are all sorts of implications that spread out from that. And we're going to see that this commandment is actually one of the most comprehensive of them all. It, it spreads out and covers almost more than anything else in life among the commandments. A lot of people have called this commandment the commandment about life, the opposite of murder, obviously. And that can be a really helpful way to look at the commandment. And that's actually what we're going to do this morning. We're going to see how this commandment tells us as God's people to be people of life. So I'm going to ask the question, what do people of life look like? And give some answers to it. People of life, first of all, are life-giving, not life-draining. People of life are life-giving, not life-draining. We're called not to murder. And that's actually different than being commanded not to kill. Because in situations maybe of self-defense or war, and someone is killed, that is not murder in, in God's eyes, in the Bible. There was once a Christian young man, and this is a true story, who in, in lived, uh, was in his low 20s, I would guess, uh, in the early 1970s. And he asked uh, a father whether he could marry his daughter. He was madly in love with this girl, wanted to marry her. Um, but the man was a pacifist. And that means, boys and girls, he didn't believe a Christian should be engaged in any sort of violence. So before saying yes to this guy, the parents asked, would you protect our daughter if she were being attacked and would come to harm? Which is a very good question for parents to ask someone like that, perhaps. And he had, he had to think about that one a little bit, and ultimately he decided maybe he wasn't quite the pacifist he thought he was, and he would protect his, his wife if he were allowed to marry her. And most Christians would say, in fact, that it's your God-given responsibility to protect your loved ones or others too if someone comes after them to harm them and you can do something about it. And if in that self-defense the result is the attacker dies, that is not murder. That is not murder in God's eyes. We can also talk about death or killing that happens in just war or because the government, like we read, is armed with the sword. More, we're going to cover more of that a little bit later, but by most Christians, it's not considered murder. That's not considered against the Sixth Commandment. And you notice uh, in our catechism, in the lesson, it gets at all kinds of stuff beyond outward death or murder that can happen inside our hearts that can make us disobey this commandment. Belittling, insulting, hating others. We can murder people in God's eyes with our thoughts, our words, our looks, our gestures, it's said in the catechism. I can think of one gesture in particular. I don't know if they were thinking of it then, but I can think of it today. A desire for revenge, 
And that all goes along. It's all based on what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you are angry with your brother, you are subject to judgment. And John says it in 1 John 3, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So God hates murder, but also the root of murder, stuff like envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. So by the Bible's definition of murder, each one of us needs God's grace on this just as much, just as much as a killer who's on death row. The third question we read revs it up even another notch. And there's a positive calling, not just don't do this, but God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Be patient, be peace-loving, be gentle, merciful, friendly, protect them from harm, do good even to your enemy. So can you start to see why I said this might just be the most comprehensive of all the commandments? What I want to do this morning is boil all that down to just one principle for you to evaluate your life with. Ask yourself, am I life-giving or am I life-draining? Think of your interactions with others. Some people drain the life out of other people. You've maybe been in conversations or been in a room with people like that. They whine, they complain, they always talk about the world falling apart. They're gossiping about others. Nothing ever goes right for them or their family. They drip negativity wherever they are and in whatever they talk about. And you leave conversations like that, you leave people like that feeling totally drained, don't you? Like the life has just been sucked out of you. We want to be life-giving people. We want to do the opposite of sucking the life out of the room. We want to breathe life into people. When you walk into a room, are you Christian? Are you life-giving? Do you breathe life into the situation? Draining life is what sin does. Draining life is what Satan wants. And he ultimately wants to drain and suck the life out of us so much in such a way as to pull us down to hell with his lies, with his evil, with his hatred. But the Bible tells us that Jesus, God's only son, came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. He came that you and I might have life and not only have life, but live that life out for others and be a blessing so that they too could know the Lord of life. Maybe your life has not been characterized by life this morning. You've made poor decisions. You've had poor attitudes. The good news is that you can have life by turning to Jesus, by admitting your bad choices, by accepting his finished work. 
He came for you too this morning, no matter how many times you've murdered in your heart. And even if you actually murdered someone, there is forgiveness and life for you in Jesus. This church, Faith Church, is a place for everyone in Jesus Christ, where we want to reach people and show them life in Jesus. And we're doing it in many, many ways. One of the big ways is partnering with Crossroad Bible Institute, a prison ministry, where we're sharing our faith, all of you who are instructors, even with people in prison, with some people who actually are murderers. A life-giving life, a life-giving disposition is our calling as Christians, and that will make a difference in this world. That will make a difference among the people you interact with. Second, people of life care about their own life too. Did you catch that in the answer? The answer talks about not harming ourselves. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so honor God with your body. We do that. That means we don't recklessly endanger ourselves. Science tells us there are things that we can put in our bodies that endanger us, that recklessly harm ourselves. Smoking, too much alcohol, illicit drugs, putting too much sugars and fattening foods into our bodies harms it. We pay attention to all that as Christians because we care about life, including our own life. We don't drive recklessly. We don't plant ourselves down like blobs and watch crazy amounts of TV, not exercising our minds. I'm not against TV. I enjoy TV. We don't do it in crazy amounts not exercising our minds. I believe this commandment calls us to live a healthy lifestyle so that we do not endanger ourselves and go against God's command. Finally, one other big thought today. People of life vote armed with biblical principles. People of life vote armed with biblical principles. We have an election coming up. You might have noticed. Unfortunately for Christians, we rarely see a candidate or candidates. There's not just the presidential election, but we rarely see people that line up exactly with what we believe in and what we believe Christian leaders are called to. In fact, let's be honest, we never find people like that. If you found someone like that, it would be Jesus, and you wouldn't be here, we'd all be in heaven. Sometimes people get so frustrated with that reality whenever we face elections with these choices that they disengage from the political process. They just don't get involved, and that happens increasingly, the polls tell us. But I really believe that as a Christian, we need to be engaged. We need to have a say in our nation uh, so that we can have an influence. And that means doing the hard work 
of considering the variety of issues out there, think about what a candidate thinks about those issues and will do about them, then compare all that with what the Bible says. That's not easy. That's hard work. And I have to tell you, a church or a pastor can't do that work for you. In fact, it's illegal in our nation for that to happen. We would lose our not-for-profit status, and that would be bad. The church can't support this or that candidate. But we can and we must talk about what the Bible says. And it just so happens that this commandment, a couple Sundays before our big election, has a lot of implications for society and issues that people vote on, issues that you might want to consider Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this covers all of the important issues, but it covers a bunch of them, and I I just want to tick off a few for you. The first, I'm putting together war and capital punishment. I mentioned them earlier. The Bible seems to allow both, most Christians think, under that verse in Romans 13.4 that says the government is armed with the sword. On war, the fact is that in the same two books of the Bible where you find this commandment, Exodus and Deuteronomy, the Lord commands his people, Israel, to go to war. So this commandment couldn't be against war. The question on war is, is it a just war? Because countries can and have in history gone to war, killed people for the wrong reasons. But the Bible considers just war a necessary evil because there's sin in this world. Necessary in the sense that sometimes war is needed to prevent further evil from spreading. Most Christians believe that the government bearing the sword also means that the government has the God-given right to punish the worst criminals with the ultimate punishment of death. And in that way, also to prevent murder, as the catechism says. Second, uh, abortion comes up here too. Science has showed us that the life in the womb from the very beginning is a human being growing. A baby in the womb deserves the same protection as all other human beings. You might have noticed that this didn't come up in the catechism that we read. It wasn't really, that wasn't an issue at that time. That's why they didn't cover it. But if the catechism were written today, I'm sure it would be mentioned. And going back to the Old Testament, if someone harmed a pregnant woman, in Old Testament times even, if someone harmed a pregnant woman, he would be responsible for the life of the mother and the life of the baby. So in that, we can see that God considered babies in the womb to be babies and deserving of of protection. So from the very beginning, God's people have been against this barbaric act of abortion. And I have have to tell you, uh, Sarah and I were reminded, impressed in a new way, I should say, of how twisted abortion is when we had to recently it was asked by us of one of our daughters, what does that mean? And we had to explain it. And when you think of explaining something like that to someone who has never heard it before, I mean, it's just, it really reinforces 
how horrendous and evil. I mean, the, the child was like, what? What do people do? Third, euthanasia. Abortion, life in the womb looks to the very beginning of life. Euthanasia to the very end. Euthanasia is the idea of putting people out of their misery. Um, maybe similar to how we, we put pets to sleep. Christians have always defended life here too. It's another issue for Christians if you let the body die when there's no hope of recovering consciousness. That's another matter. That's not considered by Christians to be euthanasia. The big challenge there, if a family comes to that situation, is judging whether consciousness could return or not. Fourth, reverence for all human life. If we're people of life at the beginnings of life and at the end, Christians are also people of life for everything in between. If we look out for the most vulnerable lives, like babies in the womb, we also look out for all vulnerable people in our society. Like the Bible often talks about, the poor, the orphan, the widow, all those in need. So Christians care about what policies and candidates will do for the most vulnerable in our society. We don't just look after our own life with our vote, but also the lives of others, especially the vulnerable. From the womb to the tomb and everywhere in between. We could take this one step further and say that Christians not only care for all human life, but all life. Plant and animals too. The Bible says God cares for every living thing. Take a look at Psalm 104, Matthew 6. God cared about even the animals of Nineveh when he was talking to Jonah about the punishment against Nineveh. In Exodus 23, we read that if your donkey stumbled under its load, you were not permitted to just stand by and watch and do nothing. You had to help that poor animal. And when we talk about all of life, for a lot of Christians, environmentalism has very bad connotations. And I think it does because it makes, in our minds, too much of the physical world, right? When there's talk of Mother Earth and all of that. But God does want us to care for creation. He commands it. He cares for creation. Instead of environmentalism, Christians could talk about creation care and actively promote it. The Bible calls us to use creation for our good, yes, but not abuse it. As I said, there are all kinds of issues to consider. These are some important ones that fit under the wide-sweeping realm of the Sixth Commandment. This commandment may be the most obvious, but it also has some of the most far-reaching implications for us. May God give us much grace and wisdom to live it out as we look to others, as we look to our own life, 
and even as we look at society and as we vote in an upcoming election, being salt and light in our nation today. Amen.